If you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you don't, we'll figure out a way to get you one. Open it to Psalm 1. It's not very often I get to preach on the first day of the year. Everybody's ready to cancel your Planet Fitness subscription in February. Everybody got that on your calendar and all the stuff that goes along with the first of the year? We probably are returning to Mark next Sunday, probably. And we'll finish out Mark. And then we're going to talk about gifts of the Spirit, just so everybody knows what's coming. So we're but today, I wanted to talk about a godly vision for 2023. So Psalm 1, I'm just going to read the first four verses. But before I do, let's go ahead and pray um, as we get started. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for everyone here. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this group of believers. Lord, they are precious in your sight and we ask this morning that you would lead us by your spirit through your word, that you would help me to teach and explain what we want to do this year. Lord, we submit all of our plans before you, that it would not be our will that is done, but your will that is done. God, we thank you and trust you. You are good, and you will lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and we believe that and thank you for it today. It's in the name of Jesus we do it. Amen. I want, I want to talk about a godly vision uh, for this year, for 2023. And it's incredibly simple. Now, there was a time in my life where I felt like you had to have a very organized vision written down. Write the vision, make it plain. Everybody's heard that before. Without a vision, the people perish. Everybody's heard that before. Um, and you're supposed to write it down, and it's supposed to be all these things that God is calling you to do. And I'm not necessarily against that. Um, but I've just got something real simple. Just something real simple. It's just two points, two legs of a very simple vision for this year for Celebration Church, which is us. It's not my vision, per se. It's I'm in the role as pastor, so I'm out in front leading, but it's us as a church. So if you are called to this body, this is what we're doing, and we need you. We, we need you, because it is not healthy or functional for a church to just be a every Sunday, hear some preaching, go home, everything was good, I like the way Jennifer sings, and then I just live my life. Church is a body that functions and does things for the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to look at today. And leg number one of our very simple vision for 2023 is to simply make Scripture daily. Just make it a daily part of your life. Incredibly simple. Let's look at why. Psalms 1, I'm just going to read the first four verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, notice that word, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight and law are weird when you put them together. Okay? That's just, that's a weird juxtaposition that happens all the time in the Bible. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates. He rolls it over day and night. This guy that is this way, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I want you to notice that when it says somebody is blessed when they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or they do not take their advice from the world. Is that an easier way to say it? If you are getting your relationship advice from TikTok reels, you are sitting in, or walking in the counsel of the wicked. Andrew Tate should not be informing you on what a real man is. If you don't know who he is, praise the Lord. I don't have a female example, but I'm pretty sure we could all whip out our phones and find one in less than a second of what not to follow. The world is in a way that has never been done before. The world, we have successfully shortened our attention spans to six to ten seconds, and then we got something new, something new, something new, something new. We got, and, and it's this Eastern-based secular humanist advice that we are getting all day from every source, and it is absolute hogwash in a very little... You guys know what hogwash is, right? Take a bunch of dirty pigs and wash them down, and whatever's left over is the hogwash. None of you would drink it, but you are drinking it when you take your advice from the world. The way the world thinks, the way the world talks, the way the world acts is like a running river that you, you start touching the riverbank, you fall in, and you get swept down it because that's the way that it works and you don't even know that it's happening. Do not take your counsel from the wicked. Don't take your advice from a world that is antithetical to everything God stands for. Praise the Lord. This verse tells me that. This verse says, don't, don't take your counsel from the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. What are they doing? Don't stand over there. What are they saying? Don't talk that way. What are they watching? Don't watch it. Do you, do you know what you're letting into your life and your heart and your mind and the, your expectation? Your expectations of life are not being built by Scripture. They're being built by the world's definition of success. So some of the older, especially gentlemen here in the room, may be like, well, I don't watch TikTok. Yeah, these silly kids. But we'll, we will allow the world's definition of success to tell us 
how we're supposed to work and what we're supposed to do with our money, what we're supposed to do with our time. We'll do the same. We, we, every one of us in here have susceptibilities to taking our counsel from the world because it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's all around you, whereas the Word of God is something you have to intentionally, on purpose, go get. Do you see the difference? Narrow is the road that leads to salvation. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. The narrow road is hard because you have to be purposeful on it. The wide road is easy because you can just sit back in a chair and the current will take you down the way they do it. Now, this is not a fundamentalist sermon where I'm now going to go into all the TV shows you shouldn't watch, all the music you shouldn't listen to. That's not... That, has, that is not what I'm saying. I will say that the TV shows you watch and the music you listen to and the podcasts that you're consuming and whatever else you're getting your information from, it influences us to think a certain way. My dad used to say there's no difference between me preaching a sermon to you, Steve, and that CD that you've listened to 300 hours preaching a sermon to you. What are the values, after all, of Green Day? I mean, I love the music. What are the lyrics telling me? Well, lots of godly things. Plenty of scriptural advice. Or not. I mean, gosh, I could, I could just go through all the music. That, it's not that I'm against secular music. You can listen to it if you want. I'm just saying, imbibing large quantities of anything that is antithetical to Christ has an effect, period. It just does. This includes our news commentaries. This includes your favorite political pundit. This includes everything. It's not, there isn't one thing where I just say, well, we've got to cut everything out. What I'm saying is, is that th these verses tell me that I should not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And if I find myself influenced by the wicked, I need to go to the sources and figure out where I'm getting that from. Because verse 2 is what we really want. Verse 2 is we want to be people in 2023 that delight in the law of the Lord. And if I'm, I'm preaching now to 14-year-old me, okay? 14-year-old me was totally terrified of the law of the Lord. I grew up in a holiness environment where you got saved every other week. Because if the altar call didn't work and nobody needed Jesus for the first time, there's plenty of folks out there that needed him the second, third, and 58th time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you want to rededicate your life? We'll get these altars filled one way or the other. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you may be better off. I'm not sure. But when I was growing up, We've got to get people up here at this altar. So we give an altar call. Nobody needs saved. Great. Nathan's been sinning this week. I'm going to give an altar call. It's going to get him up front. Then we all feel better. Something happened at church. I'm, I'm making fun, but I'm not. Listen, God worked wonderful things in my life in, my life in that church. Even though I don't agree with a great many things that I grew up being taught, God still works. That's the beauty of what God does. 
There's all kinds of us. We came from some crazy backgrounds. We may be 20 years from now looking back at Celebration Church going, man, we thought we knew what we were doing. We were morons, and that very well may be what happened. So I'm conscious of that. But we had to get the altars full, and we were going to do it one way or the other. So I was afraid of the law of God. I could go through, and so can you, with pinpoint precision and accuracy, all of my failures. Can't you? All the sin, all the dumb things, all the thoughts. I mean, gosh, as a 14-year-old boy, the thoughts. Oh, terrible, horrible. All, all the guys are silently amening me, and the girls only think they know. And I tell, I tell my daughters, I tell my wife, you only think you know what guys are like. You, Anyway, the law of the Lord scared me. So the idea of delight being attached to the law of the Lord is weird. Because I delight in ice cream. I love ice cream. I delight in Christmas morning. I delight in seeing my children succeed and do well. I delight in, in coming home and having the warmth of the home in the winter and Jennifer's cooking something like white chicken chili and it, the whole house smells like it. I delight those moments. I understand those are moments of delight. But delight in the law of the Lord? You remember the disciples when they saw Jesus drive out the money changers? Do you remember what they remembered? Zeal for your house has eaten me up is what they remembered about Jesus. About the Old Testament saying that. Something I want imprinted into the DNA of Celebration Church. This is me as the pastor, out front trying to lead. Is for us to be people that love the Bible. That delight in the law of the Lord. And, and that happens when you see that Scripture is god breathed for us it is life it is liberty it is meat and drink to the soul it is not a list merely of requirements and duties that you can't do it is the life-giving nourishment that god has given his people so that we can be sustained and we can grow Yes, the Bible frustrates me. I read it, and there's things that seem to be saying different things simultaneously. I don't mean contradictions, but paradoxical statements like delight and the law of the Lord. There's moments where you come across in Scripture that make you chew on it and think. Martin Luther was talking about some Scripture, and he said, it is eluding me what this verse means. But I will pound on it until I get it. Scripture, and if you've never had this happen, this could be a year that it happens for you. If you won't leave it alone, if you'll dig into it and put aside all of our Appalachian sayings, like, I'm not smart enough to understand it. I'm not philosophical enough to understand it. I'm not a theologian. I'm not getting it. I'm not smart enough to get it. I'm just a regular person. That's all hogwash. Because you have, living within you as a child of God, the Holy Spirit, 
who was sent to teach you and lead you into all truth. And Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. So the Holy Spirit in you wants to lead you into his word and a deeper understanding of it. And he does that as you get into his word and say, I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to offer up excuses. I'm not going to say I'm too stupid. I'm not going to say I'm just a dumb country boy. I'm going to read it and believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do something, whether my brain gets it in that moment or not. I am going to read it. I am going to chew on it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to ask questions on it. I may even disagree with somebody on it. Disagreeing with it is wonderful. Disagreeing with other people, not the Scripture. The Scripture is right. Somebody may come from it this angle, somebody may come from another angle, and you find yourselves at a disagreement. Well, you know what's great about that? That's called iron sharpening iron. The, re the way that we grow in our understanding of Scripture is reading it and talking about it. Reading it and talking about it. And hearing sermons and reading and talking about it and praying and reading and talking about it. And I promise your delight can be a real thing in the Word of God. I'm not talking about, well, in order for me to be an authentic Christian, I've got to feel this feeling like Christmas morning, and if I don't feel it, I can't read it because it's not real. That would be dumb. That would be just one more clever way that Satan robs you of being somebody who delights in his Word. Because what does verse 3 says? say. Verse 3 says he is the person who delights in his word and is not listening to the world for advice. This person is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. There is fruit that comes into the life of believers who delight in the law of the Lord. And its leaf does not wither regardless of the heat that the tree experiences when a tree i just took a walk this morning over at st cloud's most underrated park in huntington just throw that out there you go and walk along that path down by the creek which overflows with incredible consistency but when you get down there and walk around and look at those trees uh those trees flourish all along that creek bank because their roots have a never-ending water source. It doesn't matter if it doesn't rain because there's water there always. And when we as Christians are delighting in God's Word and consuming it and making our decisions on it and changing our behavior because of it, we are like trees planted by a never-ending source of water, which is why our leaves don't wither. Now, you can apply that to your life because I have had plenty of dry-leaved seasons in my Christian walk. And I can always go back and say, right about here's when I was super comfortable, and that directly corresponded to less delight in the Word of God 
which then eventually corresponded to dry, withered season, which then brought me back to reading the Word of God and praying. Everybody's been in this cycle before? This is just telling us that if you don't want to spend lots of time in a withering season, you can just delight in the Word of God. Now, parentheses, there is no guarantee that everything will be perfect in your life because you make the Bible a part of your life. In fact, I can promise that it does not mean that. But what it does mean is that you are more readily equipped to deal with the issues that you have and will have this year and calamities some of you will face. We don't know what those are. You'll deal with them totally differently if you have had a solid, healthy diet of Scripture. You just deal... Everything is different when I filter it through the lens of God is enough. God will sustain us. God will get us through. And I believe that because I've been feeding and delighting in his word and I see what he says and his promises to me are secure. I am his child. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what happens. And all that he does, he prospers. So there's stability in storms and there's prosperity for believers who dive deep into the Word of God. I'm going to read this quickly. I spent a lot of time on that one. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. This is Moses in the promised land. I've got some rules for you as you go into the land of promise. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Before I go any further, let me just simply say that this is a generational address. What I mean by that is, is that God wants a habit established of following his laws and his commandments that you are going to teach and you are going to show that you fear the Lord for you, your son, and your son's son. In other words, what we do in 2023 has an effect in 2053, in 2073, in 2123, 100 years from now. If the Lord would tarry, what of our children's children's children? And I want us to think that way, that what we do in our lives now has an effect on the generations behind us. Even if you have no children, what you become in a church family is that lady that I remember from church who loved God with all of her heart. That's what you become. You become an example to the kids that are here. I remember that family, that sweet couple, I've got all kinds, how many of you have got memories of sweet old 
people that you remember and they inspire you as you remember they served God with joy and with the fear of the Lord. You remember that. Why? Because God is intergenerational and he has been doing this for thousands of years. And the way that he's been doing it is passing it on from your son to your son's son to your son's son's son. And a lot of God's promises are way off in the distance. God tells us what the promises look like here, but they may be thousands of years in the future. For all we know, if the post-millennialists are right, we're still in the early church, which nobody thinks that way. But what if that is that way? What if there are thousands of years in front of us as Christians? What will your legacy be in terms of how we left behind an imprint of the way we lived our lives as people of the Bible? That's what I'm saying. That's what Deuteronomy is saying. That's what God is commanding Israel to do. So let's keep going. Hear, O Israel, this is verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema, the prayer of Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So, that sounds an awful lot like blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. This says, you shall talk when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That sounds like that for the Christian, for the people of God, the word of God is constantly in your mouth and in your mind. And I'll be honest, this is slightly radical for people. And it's radical because we've grown accustomed to a Christianity that is limited to Sunday. We just box up Jesus on Sunday, we'll get him out next Sunday. I'm going to go to my real life, which is my job, that's where my real life happens. And if I need Jesus out of the box to come address an issue in my real life, I may go get him out of the box, but I'd prefer to leave all the Christian stuff in a box for Sunday. And that's been the American way. And many of us have been influenced by that and live as if that's the way to live. And it isn't. Because in the Jesus box, you find out he is the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't fit in a box. The only, you are in a box with him. You belong to him. You were bought with a price. You are his possession his own people called to give him praise. So what we've been doing is creating and fashioning a God that fits our schedule and our life and, our, and the way we want to be comfortable. And what I'm telling you is, is that that's why our Christian walk is weak, anemic, and miserable. That's why the idea of delighting in the law of the Lord is foreign because our understanding of who God is is just so small. And I want to tell you that the real freedom that you and I experience as Christians is found in deeper submission to who He is. And you discover 
that because he made you as his child to live for him, that until you live for him, you're just always like windmilling at the air and accomplishing very little. So we want to be people of the Bible. We want to be people of the Word of God that love it. I'm going to give you some practical stuff here at the end. Leg number two. Here's part number one is make Scripture daily. Number two, use whatever gift God has given you. Use it. Be a part. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand, said Peter 2,000 years ago. Just put that commentary in there for your thoughts. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's another sermon. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's just an interesting verse. Have people over and quit complaining. Is that another way I could say that? Invite people to dinner and quit your whining. Okay, it's, maybe that's just modern way of saying it. As each has received a gift, as each has received a gift. So if you're an each, which you are, you've received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You serving God according to his varied grace. There's a lot. I don't have time, but God's saying that his grace to Ashley is not the same as it is to Kenny. His saving grace is the same, but what he graced Ashley to do and what he graced Kenny to do is not the same thing. He's given us different measures of grace, different measures of faith. He's given us different scenarios, times that we find ourselves in, people that we find ourselves surrounded by, and God is giving you something to do in this church. So we should do it. Whether that's serving, whether that's speaking, whatever it would be. I've got lots more to say, but I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the te- and teachers to equip the saints. Now, a lot of people have never really thought about what that means, but what that means is that the saints, which would be you, need equipping to do the work of ministry. The work of ministry is not merely done by the pastor and the elders. Well, Jennifer will do that. Samantha and Lee will do that. Or fill in the blank. 
Somebody will do that. The work of, and that's true, we will, but the work of ministry is to be done by everybody I'm looking at. The work of ministry is all of us have work to do because all of us have gifts from God. All of us do. Every one of us. No matter how inadequate you feel or you think I don't have anything to do or offer, it's not true. The, the equipping comes through the preaching of the word and the ministry of pastors and elders, but it's so that the saints can do work. And there's a reason for that. Because when the church is working, doing things, which includes serving one another, which includes inviting people over to your house, that's part of this. It includes all of it, not just we need somebody. This isn't going to go to we need some more people to clean, even though that's true. That's not where, I'm, that's not where this is going. I need some more Sunday school workers, which is true. But that's not where this goes and ends. What this means is we're supposed to be involved with one another. Okay, because here's what happens. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Something happens when a church family functions like a family and everybody does what they're gifted to do. It helps protect us from lying, deceiving, heretical teaching, which is everywhere. And the internet giveth in that you have access to all kinds of good information, and the internet taketh away, and that you have access to even more sewage and hogwash. So maybe something good, maybe something bad. So because we have access to heresies that a lot of people thought were over and forgot about, they come circling back around with greater force because... Did you ever hear that Jesus is like the Egyptian gods? It's just the same thing. It's just the same thing. Like, this stuff has all been refuted hundreds of years ago, but it's got brand new life in the mouth of ignorant atheists today on the Internet. And your 14-year-old is affected by that because you didn't hear about it in 1975 or 1985 or 1995 because there wasn't an Internet for them to hear about it. Then they hear about it, they're like, well, nobody's ever talked about it. So, so a church family actually functions as a protective unit as we invite people over for soup, as you serve in the Sunday school, as people in the church know that it's a family connection, the body of Christ, serving one another. God does this work by His Spirit through the church to protect the people within the church so that we're no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. If you thought that I was over the top in the way I'm describing it, Ephesians says there is craftiness and deceitful schemes that are designed to unseat and unsettle the faith of people. That is what they're for. Mormonism is incredibly clever. 
because it sounds so, I mean, they're just so nice. Right? They're just so nice. There's so many things I want to say. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, every elbow and kneecap and every vertebrae that you might be in God's body, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is something remarkable about you doing what God has called you and gifted you to do. So here's the two-part vision, super simple. Read your Bible, make it delightful, fight to make that a reality, and do something on purpose within this body. The storehouse was just mentioned. You need something to do, come do the storehouse. Invite Homer over for dinner. He's not saying no. I'm just telling you right now. I won't say no. There's a lot of people in here that won't say no. There's some people that might. Invite them anyway. Let me give you, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me give you how we can apply these, these two things. For leg number one, we're just standing on two legs, right? No more complicated than that. For leg number one about the Bible, read it. It's pretty deep. Read it. Get a Bible plan. Download the Olive Tree Bible app. It is the best free Bible app you can get. There's Logos and other really cool ones, but download the uh, Olive Tree Bible app. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans. Sophia did it. I was so proud of her this year. She read through the Bible in 10 months following that plan. Read, read your Bible. Do it as a discipline and say, Lord, help me because I'm just doing this because I have to. And Leviticus is not exciting at all. And that's true. You will struggle in Leviticus. But it's the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Well, it's different. You've come across verses in your Bible reading and you may not understand it, write it down on a margin somewhere, give yourself a note, tell Siri to remind you to come back to it, whatever it is you need to do, and then go study it or ask somebody a question about it. It's weird what kind of conversations you will get in if you're reading your Bible. Talk about the Bible with your friends and with your spouse. You and your spouse struggling? Put everything off to the side. Just ask some Bible questions to each other. Say, I know we're fighting right now. I know we haven't slept in the same bedroom for three weeks. Look, can we just talk about the Bible? I'm not even trying. Look, can we just start somewhere? Just talk about the Bible. If you don't have a spouse, you've got friends. This is radical, okay? Everybody brace yourself. Do what it says. Just, just do it. If it says not to gossip and you find, yourself go you find yourself gossiping, rather than coming up with that elaborate reason that it's okay for you in this setting because you're really going to pray for them, rather than doing that, just quit it. Just stop. If it says love your neighbor as yourself and you find yourself falling short, which you are, ask God for help. It's weird how simple it actually is. And at the same time, it's profound what happens in your life when you start 
walking in faith and saying, Lord, I'm going to try to do what I'm reading. Think in terms of generational impact. Realize that you are not just delighting in the law of God for yourself, but it has an impact on others, you and your son and your son's son. And finally, come to Sunday school. Why are we doing Sunday school? Because I believe with all of my heart that we are entering a phase of history where we better know the Bible. We better know it. And so we are doing everything that I know to do as a church to systematize Bible learning. The reason we're doing Sunday school is because I want all of my children and your children and and all of our people that are over 65 and all of our people under 42 and everybody in between, I want everybody to have a deep root growing by the stream of living water because they're delighting in the law of God. So that's leg number one. Leg number two, being involved. Pray about what your gift is and how you might use it. I know a lot of people struggle with what your gift is. I have a solution. Just start doing stuff. Just start doing anything. It's funny how that clarifies what you should be doing. It's odd. Just start doing something. I will quote the article that I've laughed over for 20 years. Man dies at age 93 waiting for the will of God. And the article is a satire. It was absolutely hilarious where a guy had all these skills and all these talents, but he didn't want to mess it up. He didn't want to mess up his service for the Lord, so he did nothing out of safety. Don't be that person. Do something. Pastor Steve, I've got sin in my life. Guess what? So do I. Now, we can talk about various things in there, but do something. You've got a million excuses. Set them to the side and do something. Take a risk and invite somebody to your house. Or invite them to lunch. We read those hospitality scriptures on purpose. I think that's more important than we realize. We're busy. We're closed off. We don't want people to see what we're really like. And I think that's a problem. I think we should change that. I think we should say, yeah, my house is not perfect. No, my food isn't perfect. No, my children are not perfect. But you and I are part of the body of Christ. I want you to come over in the midst of our glorious imperfection and we are going to eat this delicious food together and laugh. It doesn't have to be, okay, open your Bible to Leviticus 20. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Now, if you want to do that, you can. But if you just get together. Okay. Send somebody a text. Make a phone call. Ask how they're doing. It's just, just simple things. Is that being involved? Yes. Yes, that is. Fill out a connection card. Say, I'd like to talk to you about being involved. We're totally fine with that. Attend Sunday school. Why is that important? Because that's you being involved in another capacity, and you may get to know somebody that you don't know very well now. Here's, here is, I've already said, we'd, there's all kinds of stuff that we can have help for. There's all kinds of stuff that we're going to try to do. But the big thing is simply this. Love the Bible and get involved. That's our vision for 2023.
All right? Now, we'll flesh that out as we go throughout the year, but that's what we're going to be about in 2023. And Sunday school is a huge part of that. So, if you would, let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. Do you know what I think happens when a church family does what we're talking about? I think there is a greater likelihood that we see people come to know Christ. Because a healthy church that's doing this can't help but obey the Great Commission. Go in all the world and make disciples. It's, that's part and parcel to people who love the Bible. I'm not handing out commitment cards. I'm not asking you to commit to any... I'm not, even, I'm not doing any of that. This is, this is what is going to be the tenor of 2023. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that you would help us throughout this entire year to love the Word of God. Some of us do. Some of us struggle. Some of us are just up and down. Lord, I thank you that you work with all of us in that. You're not condemning us. You're not raking us over the coals because our devotion isn't pure enough. Lord, help us. We need your help, and we thank you for it. God, I I pray that we would be more deeply in love with Scripture by the end of this year as a church body. I pray our children would be. I pray that Sunday school would serve as that extra arm of growth in our walk with you. And Lord, we pray that, that there's giftedness in here that would be stirred up and that people would discover things maybe long dormant or long forgotten or totally unexpected that you have for them to do before they leave this earth. Lord, I pray that we'd have those discoveries this year in this body. Lord, we thank you for all of it. Be with us as we go into this first week of work in the new year. Strengthen marriages. Build hope in children. God, we thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed.